Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osman, here with my friend, Chabrita Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachat Beitza, daf Yud, page 10. The beginning of our daf, which I is a very, very long discussion, but I think does need to be uh, talked about a little bit, is a continuation from yesterday's daf, where Rabbi Yochanan basically tries to line up all of these positions of Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel, um, and make sure that they are sort of um, uh, consistent with each other. And the answer that we sort of see through Rabbi Yochanan is to basically just reverse their opinions. And the Gemara comes to say like, no, but is there another way that we could um, answer that? And so what I'll just comment on, because that thing comes up over and over again, multiple times, I think it's like five times altogether, where Rabbi Yochanan says, you know, just reverse the positions. And the Gemara keeps coming back to be like, wait, but could we explain it differently? And so I think based on what we talked about yesterday, I, you know, that there seems to be this issue with some of the Tanaitic tests, texts that maybe, you know, they weren't, uh, you know, the fact that Rabbi Yochanan can so casually, I don't think it's casual, but it reads casual a little bit on the DAP, like, yeah, just reverse it. It was recorded incorrectly. It's also good to see that the Gemara is like not thrilled with that because what the Gemara is basically saying is that should only be our explanation if we cannot come up with any single other explanation, because the Gemara does want to believe in the integrity of the text itself. So I, I guess today I'm feeling a little bit more like this, this part of the Gemara is like really trying to protect the integrity of Tanitic text. That makes sense. It's got to be like on the, it's right in the backdrop of yesterday. It makes sense that there's now going to be the, the flip side of it, right? We know what right. we're doing. Yeah, we're seeing the flip side. They don't always come up with an answer, but you know, it's sort of like them trying to say it. You know, uh, you know, they're they're just yeah, they're always trying to find an answer. And be like, we don't need to say it's really a contradiction, and we don't really need to reverse these opinions. Um, so now let's get to the next Mishnah. Beit Shammai Omrim Lo Yitol Elaim Kame Naanet Mibaodiyam. So now we have a next case which seems to be related to the previous Mishnah. Beit Shammai says you can't take these. Uh, doves from the, you know, from their little dove coat on Yom Tov, unless he literally the word na'ana means shook the ones he wanted to take while with Zayn. So in other words, he has like a physical designation that on Erev Chag, he says, these are the ones I'm going to take on Yom Tov, and he can take it. Whereas Beit Hillel says he doesn't need to do anything physical, he just can stand there, you know, sort of like point and say like, or designate verbally these are the ones that I'm going to take. So the Gemara now wants to discuss this a little bit. I'm a Rav Hanan Bar So the Gemara Bar Ami. So the Gemara basically wants to figure out what is actually the dispute over. So the this Machlokas, according to this opinion of Rav Hanan Bar Ami, is that it has to do with the first brood. In other words, if you have a pair of birds, right, and uh, it's it's the it's it's the 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 birds that get hatched in the first month of the year from a pair of 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 birds, right? And they're usually left in their nest, and they're not necessarily used for food. That that that's what you need to know about this. Again, these are things about animals. I just don't know about until I learned the death. So Beit Shammai basically says we don't want you. We we basically are going to make this decree, right? We make a gazera here that you can't take them because then maybe he'll, he'll reconsider, right? After handling them and then he decides to leave in their place, you know, he's not going to use them. And then he sort of moved them and he didn't need to move them. But once he sh- shakes them, 
In other words, you really designate it in a way, then we know that he's not he's not going to change his mind. Ubeit Hillis Savri, Lokazrina. Beit Hillis says we don't make a decree because we're not worried that they're going to change their mind, right? And it's fine, you know, verbal commitment is enough. Aval Right, but everybody agrees that with the second brood, right? In other words, the second, the, the babies that are born in the second cycle in the next month, everyone says it's enough just to sort of, uh, just to sort of stand there. And then the Gemara wants to sort of understand, uh, you know, Beit Hillel's opinion, which is interesting. Beit Hillel, right? So why does Beit Hillel say the formulation is, I will take this one and that one? Maybe it will just say, from here, I will take tomorrow. Why does he have to specify exactly what he plans to remove? Why can't he just say, this is what I'm going to take? And so now we get back to our great topic, which we've seen before, and that's why I drew this, of yes Ra or Aim Ra. And so according to Beit Hillel here, we bring up this idea that maybe he doesn't accept this opinion of retroactive designation, which we saw a ton of in Masachat Shabbat, but we've seen in other Masachot, right? The idea that you can clarify what your intention was, basically retroactively. And so then they bring up a, a, a Mishnah from Oalos uh, to talk about this. Um, and, you know, I, I, what I, I just really wanted to, to read this part um, because, uh, and, and then there's a long discussion about this Mishnah and Oalos, but, um, you know, I, and, and finally, Rava basically comes and says, even on this case in Oalos about ritual impurity, Beit Hillel would say that things could be come ritually pro retroactively. But I just wanted to point out that this, again, one of the things we want to do in this podcast is talk about themes, halachic themes that come up constantly. And here again, we have the theme of Brayrat, this idea of retroactively being able to designate something. Um, and it just seems to come up time and time again. I don't know if you remember this, Yordana, but you said, I think when Brayrat came up in Sukkah, that you said, you're going to look to see, does it really come up in every single Masachet? So, so far, we're on a good run. Right. It's every Masachet it's come up. So we'll, we'll see what happens in the next one. Okay. I'm going to take the next Mishnah. Um, the second mission on the daf, which is at the top of Amabet. So here it is. You're going to your dove code. It's Erev Chag. And you have chosen, you've designated, you're going to take the black birds, birds that are black, they're not black birds, um, to be slaughtered. So this also kind of attests to what we talked about the other day, that on the one hand, you're taking care of the, the birds in the dove coat, And on the other hand, they have a ritual purpose. Um Okay, so you're, you're planning that you're going to take black ones, but what you find there is white ones, right? And you had the ones that you have designated, I don't know what they do, they ran away? Or what about the other way, right? You could designate Levanim from Matzah and you find that instead you have black ones there, right? Shnaim or Matzah Shlosha Asurim. Shlosha Matzah Shnaim Mutarim. So, or what if you said you're going to take two to be slaughtered and you find three? So then you can rest assured that those were not the same two that you had seen earlier, and you cannot take these because they are not the birds that you had designated specifically to be the carbon. What, however, what if you said you're taking three, and then you found two, right? So then the mission says those are allowed. You can take those to be slaughtered because the idea, the default there is, 
well, you had three, but you now have two. So it stands to reason that one of them escaped, right? Rather than thinking that these are just completely different birds. So I'm not sure. And again, I, this might boil down to how much knowledge of birds you have to have. You know, to what extent could people assume, well, okay, they started out two, and then over the course of time, a third bird joined them. It seems not to be, they're not worried about that case. They say, asur. But what if you designated those birds that are inside of the nest, but then you find them outside of the nest? That would be asurim. Presumably, there's supposed to be different birds than the ones that have been designated for the korban. But if they're the only ones there, right, then you're not choosing between fledglings that are here and fledglings that are there and fledglings that are over there, and maybe they've all gotten confused. Rather, you're talking about birds that are growing, and you can find them in different places because these are the only ones that are there. So you know that they have to be the ones that you were designated to begin with. Now, one of the things that I find most interesting about this Mishnah is the significance, and it's very evident, I think, from this Mishnah, the significance of what it means to to separate something else, to have a certain role or a certain identity, and that then when you come back, you know, in these cases, they come back to to implement or to put into action the the service of that role or that identity, and um, it's only going to work if you really have the one that you designated, meaning there's no there's no bait and switch that could work here. There's no switcheroo like I don't know how many parents you know uh, of small children who had a goldfish discovered a dead goldfish and replaced the goldfish right so that the child would never even know. It's just an example. I haven't done it. Um, I, this wouldn't work here, right? The idea is that the the birds that are designated to be the carbon are the birds that are going to be the carbon. And otherwise, you don't take those birds if you have any reason. And here we've got several reasons to think that perhaps um, perhaps you have a different bird than the one that you had designated to begin with. So that, I think, is, um, you know, in and of itself, it's an, interest, an interesting requirement. Okay, I now want to jump to lower down the daf where it's talking about the three, the, the, it's citing the Mishnah, the line of the Mishnah, mutarim. if you if you designated three, but then you come on, you only have two. So the Gemara says, My tama, hani inhu ninhu, minahu azala alma. So the Gemara says, well, you can assume that these are the same ones, and one of them ran away, you know, left two of, two of them behind. The Gemara says as follows, But what if the Mishnah was according to the opinion of Rabbi Huda Nasi, and not according to the Rabbanan, namely, Ditanya, haniachmane umatsa matayim, so Rebbe's position is really about keeping things, um, I would say, either separate or or retaining their own individual identities. Namely, if you put a hundred, a hundred here, we're talking about a hundred, you know, um, mon- uh, aspects of money. What do we call it? Denominations of money. So in this case, it's going to be a hundred dinarim. Right, and it's the hundred dinarim that are the it's the money from your maser. You're gonna put it in a safe place. You put a hundred down, and then you come back and you discover that there's two hundred there, right? So then the concern is, of course, that what's happened is a hundred non-kadosh pieces of money have gotten mingled in with the hundred kadosh pieces of money, and now you've got this same problem that you had to begin with in terms of what is supposed to be what. Ha- what is the identity of what? What kind of money here is designated as kadosh, and what is just you know regular money? Um, so then, how are you going to solve this? How are you going to separate them out? Okay, so that's the first case. 
Um, and then, so, but the the Gemara goes on. Uh, so the case that is Huli to my Sershani, what would happen if you had just regular produce or regular meat, anything, right? In this case, it's produce, and it's just regular. And then you have Masershani, meaning food that has acquired a certain measure of Kedusha. And now the two of them are mixed together. And you can't tell which grain is from your Hulin, from your regular stuff, and which grain is from your Masershani, or if it was grapes or peaches. It, it doesn't matter what the produce is, right? It only matters that this is exactly the case of um, something getting mixed in a way that it still retains its own identity, but you cannot figure it out. So that's all Divi Rebbe. So the rabbis took the position that the moment you end up mixing in this kind of way, then you can, or rather you come upon a mixture of this kind of thing, according to Chachamim, you can assume that that is not your dinarim that you set aside to be so careful and so identifiable as your specific dinarim. Rather, somebody must have taken your hundred dinarim. Sure, you don't have them anymore, but it's not that they're mixed up with another hundred dinarim of of Maser Shemi, rather, or of Hektesh, whatever. Rather, the presumption here is that they were swapped out, 100 for 200, which is officially a good deal, but not if you want to be handling your money as you have designated to be. But the point is, as compared to somebody who says, well, they got all mixed up. And your your job then is very different. If there's a mixture and kind of an unauthorized and undistinguishable mixture as compared to the presumption that um, that they were swapped, and what you're looking at is not what you ever had to begin with. So, uh, you know, again, I think these missions are interesting. There doesn't seem to be a unifying theme around Beitza. <laughs> and I've actually learned Masechah Beitza before, and I told Anne, I, I struggle with this Masechah, because I just feel it's sort of like, you know, a Mishnah, and then there's an explanation, whereas I felt like our other Masechah, uh, you know, sort of had a little bit more of a theme, or we always tried to find something philosophical about it. But I guess as I'm thinking about this, you know, maybe the philosophy here is like, halacha is detailed, and there's a lot of details to know sometimes. And there's sort of a beauty in that also, like to think of all these different cases that they come up with, and we're going to see many more cases, you know, and that maybe the theme is not so much important, but actually to celebrate the detail. I think there's something to be said for that. I think also... Um, I think we're finding the the range to which the, you know, we start with an egg and we end up talking about mixtures, right? And hectesh, and meaning the discussion about Yantif itself ends up touching on many other different areas of halacha and how that's going to come into play if it's Yantif to begin with, right? So there's something interesting about that as well. The idea that there's this kind of, I don't know what, interdisciplinary or overlapping areas of halacha, which we don't always see because usually we're just taking account for the basic day, let's say. But because Yantif can have this overlap with anything that could happen on any day, the, the chicken's going to lay an egg, and lo and behold, it happens to be Yantif. That's, that's going to kick in for all kinds of other topics as well. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. 